Let us pray. Lord God, you have the words of life and we pray that you would speak to us this morning. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it was St. James, the brother of Jesus, who said to the church at large, writing in James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And to that I can only say amen and help me Lord. I mean, what a privilege it is that we have to hear the word of God. I hope we don't take that for granted. In Scripture, we have God's own self-revelation. We have God's message to us. One day in the future, we might receive a message from an intelligent being living outside of our solar system or outside of the galaxy. Think of how carefully we will study that message, looking for clues into the mind and the purpose and the nature of that other intelligence. But then realize that the Word of God is a message from an intelligent being living outside of the entire universe. And He's not only living outside of the entire universe, but He is the one who's responsible for the creation of that universe. Responsible for the creation of us. We should pay attention when we receive this message from the other side, from our Creator. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, St. James said. And it's with that injunction in mind that I turn your attention to the last verse of our reading from Romans this morning. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If things go as planned, we will all leave here today, not just hearing, but actually doing what we read in that verse. If things go according to plan, we will all leave here today considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. That's my hope. Today, of course, is Easter. On Friday, Jesus was executed. He was hung up on a cross until he died, probably of asphyxiation. His dead body was then removed from the cross and he was laid into a sealed tomb. And on Sunday morning, sometime very early, he was alive again. The women who saw him that morning were shocked and amazed and afraid. Jesus had been warning the disciples that he would die, not that they believed him because they knew that he was the Messiah and had been sent by God to reestablish the throne of David. They didn't think that he was going to die. But when he did die, they had absolutely no idea that he would come back to life. It was the last thing that they expected. The resurrection stories we have in the New Testament which show up in five separate letters of Paul, one letter of Peter in all four of the Gospels, plus the book of Acts. These resurrection stories are not some kind of cleverly concocted backroom conspiracy cooked up by followers of Jesus. The followers of Jesus were absolutely flabbergasted. His resurrection was the last thing they expected, but doggone it, 
That's exactly what happened. On Friday, Jesus was killed and on Sunday, he was alive again. There was simply no way to get around this empirical fact No matter how crazy it sounded, no matter how much it made them doubt their senses or shake in their boots, Jesus, who was once dead, was now alive. So what does that mean? It actually took the church a while to figure out what the resurrection meant. I mean, at the most obvious level, a man who was dead was no longer dead. But what the Holy Spirit began to reveal to the apostles after the resurrection was that this raising of a single man changed the whole course of human history. Something cosmic was going on that not only changed the life of the man who had died, but which changed the course of the universe. Paul who had persecuted Jesus and persecuted his followers before the resurrection, met Jesus face to face after the resurrection. And Paul unpacks what he calls in Romans 11.33, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Paul unpacks some small part of what's going on at the cosmic level, at the spiritual level, in the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, a concrete fact had happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. If they had had newspapers in those days, it would have made the front page. But behind that front page news, there was something much deeper and richer going on, and that is the mystery of the gospel. We have been visiting and revisiting the gospel week after week ever since January when I began this series of sermons preaching our way through the book of Romans. Because the book of Romans explains the Christian gospel more clearly than any other book in the Bible. Yes, we can find the gospel in every book of the Bible. But in Romans, God unveils the gospel with a richness and a depth not found anywhere else. The gospel offers a diagnosis of the human condition. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The gospel offers a prognosis of the human condition if that is left untreated. The wages of sin is death. And finally, the gospel offers a prescription that will cure us perfectly. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? You should ask. Well, saved from the wages of sin. Saved from the law's punishment of sin. And that's the good news of the gospel. But... Let me now mention the active ingredient in that saving prescription. Romans 5.8 tells us God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death, but out of God's amazing love for us, Jesus died that death for us. That's the free gift. Jesus paying the wages of our sin, but we only get that free gift if we consciously, intentionally, and freely receive it. And we receive it by faith. By faith in Jesus Christ, by faith in God, by faith in God's unchanging word. 
Everyone who has been born again, everyone who has been adopted into the family of God, has had the wages of their sin paid for by the death of Jesus. And that transaction, Jesus paying the debt of our sin, that transaction doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by accident. Jesus makes the offer and then he invites us to take him up on that offer. And that invitation requires from us a response. A conscious, intentional, and free response. We have to say yes to Jesus for his amazing gift to be ours. And so on this Easter Sunday, if you have never yet said yes to Jesus, if you've never yet said, yes, Jesus, I'm going to turn from my old life and I'm going to follow you and you will be my Lord for the rest of my days, then I invite you in the name of Jesus to do that today. Today is the day of resurrection. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus said, come to me. All you who labor and are heavily burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. It is the death of Christ which God offers to us as a gift if we're willing to receive it. A gift which will pay the wages for the sins that we have committed. But the resurrection of Christ also points to a new life, to the kind of life we have once the wages have been paid for us. Romans 6, 4 announces, we were buried with Christ by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So let's talk about that newness of life. Without a doubt, our salvation from the penalty of the wages of sin secures for us an eternity in glory with God and with all of the saints. That's heaven. That's the new Jerusalem. But our salvation from the penalty of sin also transforms the life that we live on this side of the grave. As followers of Jesus, we live a resurrected life, a new life, this side of the grave, because we are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about being alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's talk about newness of life, about resurrection life. I see three ways in which the reality of the resurrection shows up in the lives of people who've put their faith in Jesus. I'm sure there are more than three ways, but three is enough for one sermon. They are, number one, a new and clear conscience. Number two, a new father and a new family. And number three, a new way of life and a new code of living. So let's start with a new and clear conscience. When we are in Christ... We have a new and clear conscience. The price of our sin has been paid and we are dead to the legal demands of God's law. One of the weird things about being a pastor, one of the things that I haven't gotten used to yet, is that when random people meet me and learn that I'm a pastor, 
People who sit down next to me on an airplane or in a cigar lounge. These random people who don't know me from Adam all of a sudden feel the need to clean up their language and tell me how spiritual they are and explain to me what good and moral people they've been. It's really kind of a drag. Before they know I'm a pastor, they're happy to let it all hang out and be as coarse and gross and raunchy as they want to be. In fact, they seem to revel in their roughness and take it as a sign that they're regular guys. But as soon as they learn I'm a pastor, whoa, then they're all pious as choir boys. Every once in a while, I'll get a call from a family that doesn't go to church. And they've had a loved one die and they want a church funeral. And when they come to my office to meet with me about the funeral, they feel this need to tell me about how good and spiritual the deceased was, even though he had never darkened the door of a church in his life. As if I only do funerals for good people. Now I understand that it's because I'm a man of the cloth, because my in my job I somehow represent God, that... People feel the need to justify themselves or to justify their loved ones, even if I never utter a word of judgment, even if I never never think ill of them in any way. This need to explain themselves is a sign of their own uneasy conscience. And I think lots of us walk around with a need to justify ourselves, with a need to convince ourselves that we are okay. Though someplace down in our guts, we're not quite so sure. I've never read it, but it was one of the biggest self-help bestsellers in the 1970s. It was titled, I'm Okay, You're Okay. It sold over 15 million copies, was translated into more than a dozen languages. Someone even published a parody of this book called, I'm Okay, You're Not So Hot. But the payoff for the book is this psychological soothing of our uneasy consciences. Because somewhere down deep, we understand we really haven't made the grade. Because God's law is written into the human heart, even if we don't swear allegiance to that law. We have this nagging feeling that the law really is true and that we're off the mark. And some of us can spend an awful lot of time and energy trying to prove to ourselves and to the rest of the world that we're okay. So what does the gospel say to that? How does the gospel get us past that into resurrection life, into newness of life? Jack Miller, a Presbyterian pastor who lived not far from here, is famous for saying, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. The Bible says, God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that for just one second. God loves us not because we're good or spiritual, God loves us while we're still sinners and He loves us enough to die for us to take care of that sin. That's crazy love. 
Because if God loves me, if God is on my side, if God is willing to die for me, what difference does anyone else's opinion matter? When we receive God's free gift of the forgiveness of our sins by faith in Jesus Christ, our record is clean with Him and we're left with nothing more to prove. And if I don't have to prove myself to God, I sure don't have to prove myself to some random pastor who sits down next to me on an airplane. Resurrection life, newness of life, a life that lives in light of this truth. This truth sets us free. It sets us free to admit our mistakes and not be oppressed by them. This truth sets us free to tell the truths about ourselves and to not hide behind a song and dance about how good and spiritual and right and moral we are. Number two, resurrection life, newness of life also gives us a new father and a new family. Truth be told, not everybody has a good family. And not everyone had a good father. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we are adopted into the family of God and God Himself becomes our father. That means that God becomes our benefactor, our guardian, our defender. Some of our fathers never blessed us. But God is constantly blessing His children. Some of our fathers never loved us. But God is constantly loving His children. Some of our fathers never protected us or provided for us. But God is our provider and our sure defense. Jesus always addressed God as Father. It was a scandal back in His day. And when we place our faith in Jesus, we are adopted into His family. God becomes our Father now and forever. And Jesus becomes our brother now and forever. And finally, number three, resurrection life, newness of life is a new way of life. One that comes with a new code for living. Saving faith in Jesus isn't simply a recognition that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God. That's a nice thing to know and to believe, but it won't save you by itself. Saving faith in Jesus doesn't simply mean repeating some words from an ancient creed. Saving faith in Jesus is a deliberate, intentional, free step into discipleship, into a new way of life. Jesus teaches us how to live a new and different life. Jesus said that the law of God is summed up in two great commandments. Love God with your whole heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This new way of life, this new code of living, leaves behind selfishness and pride. It's rooted in humility and in service to other people. The world will teach you to look out for number one. But Jesus will teach you that you are, in fact, number three. God is first. Others are second. And we come in at number three. So here we are on another blessed Easter Sunday morning, celebrating God's victory over the tomb, over sin and death and the grave, celebrating God's gift of His own Son. 
celebrating a most unexpected event. A man who died for our sins was raised to new life so that we might be free from the curse of sin. So that we might be free to live a new life the way God intended. For Christians, every day is Easter. Every day is a day of resurrection. And my prayer for all of you this Easter Sunday is that the power of God's grace and resurrection might be realized more and more fully in your lives unto that glorious day when you get to see Jesus face to face. The last verse of our reading from Romans contains this injunction. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So how do we do that? Paul, of course, in this passage is talking to Christians. He's not talking to non-believers or to pagans. He's talking to people who have already been born again. People who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So how can those people consider themselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There are two sides to this injunction. And Paul is encouraging us to think about them and to meditate on them. One side is the dead side. If we are united to Christ, we are dead to sin. If you've broken the law, the law of the United States or the law of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, if you've broken the law, the law will come after you as long as you're alive. But once you're dead, the law leaves you alone. That's what Paul means when he says that we're dead to sin. By union with Christ, we have already received the death penalty for sin. And that means there's no penalty left over. The demands of the law have been met and we are free. Have you ever driven around with an out-of-date license or registration or inspection? I'm sure none of you have ever done that. But you can imagine it. You've heard people who've done that kind of thing. If you're driving around with an out-of-date license or registration or inspection, you're always looking over your shoulder. You're always watching for the cops. You're always worried that you might be pulled over. But what if you're dead to the law? What if that law has no more hold over you? What if the worst penalty that the law can dish out has already been given and it's been absorbed by Jesus? Then you're free. Then you're no longer looking over your shoulder. Then you can actually get down to the business of living life the way you should. That's what Paul means by being alive to God in Christ Jesus because the fear of death and punishment is gone. We can then get down to the business of being alive to God in Christ Jesus. We stop worrying about the law. We stop viewing the law as a threatening enemy. And we start living according to the law. Just because we know it pleases God. Just because we know that it makes our lives simpler and sweeter. I think there's a bit of a mental trick here that Paul is pointing out. Again, remember he's talking to Christians... To those who have been united to Christ in faith, he's reminding us that the penalty of our sin has already been paid by the death of Jesus. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. We are dead to sin and that sets us free to be alive in Christ, to joyful service and humble worship. Today is Easter.
If you have not yet taken the plunge and placed your total faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you to do that today. This is a great day. And if you have done that, if you are united to Christ, if you have been born again, if you're a Christian, then I invite you to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And now may we be doers of the law, doers of the word, and not just hearers only. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we love you, and we love you because you loved us first, and we thank you that you came looking for us and found us. Thank you for your willingness to go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. We pray that by faith we might understand these deep mysteries, and that we might trust in you. We pray that we might be able to live in the light of the reality that we are dead to sin, and that we are alive to God in you, our Savior. Amen.